Hey, get out your Bible if you had one. We'll be in Proverbs, but we'll also be, uh, just for a moment, uh, in the book of Matthew. Um, I am so glad that you all are here today. Uh, I, um, I appreciate so much the love and care and concern um, that you all have expressed to me as, as I have had this unfortunate incident where I fell and, and uh, have really wrecked my shoulder. And people have asked me, you know, how's it going? Are you doing okay? And my first inclination is to, to lie and be like, oh, hey, I'm cool, man. You know, I'm cool. It is really stunk, to be quite honest. And uh, frustrating. And this morning, uh, my, my parents are here visiting from Oklahoma and they drove back. But this morning, I'm uh, Jeannie's making breakfast, my wife Jeannie's making breakfast, and my mother has to put on my socks. And uh, I'm like, wow, I am being completely reduced at this point into a little bitty baby. And, uh, and I said, is this what it was like when I was a child? And she said, no, because you're not kicking and screaming. I was like, trust me, I really would want to be right now. But anyway, so, um, so I fell, and um, I, uh, I'm not quite at the point yet, to be quite honest, where I have this attitude of, Lord, I know you can teach me in this season. So I'm not going to say anything spiritual about it because I'm not feeling very spiritual about it. Just to be completely honest, I'm feeling really quite frustrated still at myself. And certainly I don't, I don't feel like, you know, God did it or anything like that. But, I, uh, so, but eventually I, I suspect that God will use, me, use it in, the, in my life to, to teach me something. So I'm being reduced and from what I know about the Lord and the way that he works is that, um, is that, that his strength is shown when, when we are obviously and gladly weak. And so I have, in the last three weeks, uh, felt like it's three years and, uh, and certainly feel very, very weak. And that's probably a really, really good thing. So with all that in mind, I want to pray and just ask God to work in and through this talk to impact your life and impact this community that we care so much about. And, um, and, and we'll just see, see what happens here. God, we love you so much. And God, my, my hope this morning is in you and is in your word and is in uh, your strength and your spirit, God. And God, this morning we gather in this way not relying on um, the environment we can produce, but God, we rely on the work of your Spirit through a proclamation of who Jesus is and how he's been revealed in the Scriptures and, and how that impacts our lives. And today in particular, God, in the area of how we use our words to strengthen connections in our homes and our workplaces for us to be better um, equipped and, and strengthened on mission with you, God. And so, God, I confess to you that I feel weak this morning. I feel distracted, um, but I'm also hopeful knowing that, that you are completely capable of working in the lives of the people that are here. And so we just love you, Lord, and trust you, and I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, a couple of things before I get into my talk this morning I want to just make you aware of is I just want to remind you that this year as a church, we have set out as a one-year milestone, a goal, if you will, to follow up on 10,000 prayer requests. And so it's, it's been an awesome journey for us so far. We're four months into the year, and we've already seen thousands of 
prayer requests be followed up on. But I just want to remind you. So one of the things that we have is this prayer book, and, and it's made available to you. I'm not sure if there's any left back there. I hope there are. Um, you're shaking your head no, but let's, let's just, I'm going to say that there are. There's some back there if you want one, and I hope you're using it. And if you say, well, I don't know who to pray for or what to pray for, then you could just literally ask the person sitting next to you, hey, what's something I can pray for you about this week? And then put that in your little prayer book or however you want to keep up with it and pray for them. And then you ask them, hey, how's it going? I prayed for that one thing. So this is very important. Mine has been uh, used most days, and some days it's been lost, but by some miracle act of God, it's been returned to me like the prodigal son or something, and it's coffee stained and all that kind of stuff. At least I think that's coffee. I don't know, maybe sweat. But anyway, um, so I hope that you'll use that and know that that's important to us. We, as a church, really care about about this, this posture before the Lord where we say, God, we are dependent upon you. We need you. And I want to tell you something. Since January, when we began this, I personally have experienced more health issues. That's four months than I've experienced in the last four years. Now, do I think that that's the devil making me sick and causing issues for me physically because we as a church are trying to do a prayer emphasis? Maybe. I don't know. It could be. But there's something there. And so here's what I do know is that God wants you to know how dependent upon him you are. And a reflection of how dependent dependent you feel on God, a, a revelation of that is how often you pray. And so the worst thing in the world for the work of the enemy in this community would be for a church like ours to become really committed in a very real way, not just like, oh, yeah, we're praying, oh, awesome, how's it going, but not actually praying and following up with people and ministering to people. A really amazing work would happen in and through our church, and the enemy would hate it. So maybe, just maybe, the devil tripped me on that run in veil. I mean, maybe. Because certainly it wasn't my lack of skiing ability. I don't know. I don't completely think like that. But I just want to say to you, like, let's lean in. So to me, like, let's not let the troubles that some of us have been experiencing uniquely in the last few months be wasted. This morning I was driving around this community, as I sometimes do on Sunday morning, just praying for the community. I was driving by other churches that I know of in the community that are going to be talking about Jesus this morning, just praying for them and asking God to do something great in this community. And, uh, and I just said, God, I want all of this. Whatever it is, I want all of it. Here's what I do know, is that God wants to do something in the world. He wants to do something in our state, in our city, in this community. And for whatever reason, he's chosen to use people like you and me. And we can call it mission. In fact, that's what we will call it. We'll call it mission, the mission of God. And I believe this. I believe that God wants to use you in your circle of influence, in your sphere of influence, where you work, live, and play for his glory and for his fame. And I think that God not only wants to use you as an individual, but he wants to use your family, your little family unit, whatever that is. Maybe it's you and your spouse, or you and your spouse and your kids, or maybe it's you and your couple of best friends. Maybe it's you and the people that you work with that are like family. Whatever that kind of family unit is for you, I do believe that God wants to use you to make a difference in this city that will last beyond your life. And um, I'm, I'm committed to that. I believe that. 
In fact, I just want to put before you that I actually wrote a book about it. And so here's my plug for my book, and I will not apologize for it. Um, this book I've written, uh, and it came out in January, and we're still working, kind of launching on different platforms, but uh, it is right now selling at a really rapid rate of about one book a week. And so it's really, I mean, you know, I should be driving that Escalade any day now. Um, so this book, Living Connected, which is a book that I would encourage you to pick up in the back. You can grab one for free. Jesse, right now, is back there. He's actually reading it right now. Um, and you can grab one for free. Or if you want the churches purchase some, if you want to pay the church for it, there's a suggested donation of, what is it, $14? Is that what it says? 14 to $400, whatever you would like to do. And uh, anyway, so pick this up. And what's in this book is, 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 I think, something that will help you think about how you and your family can live on mission, dealing with very pa- practical issues within, within your home. One of which we're going to talk about right now, and that is words, the power of words. So I want to tell you a story about two frogs. You ever heard the story about the two frogs that fell into a pit? Raise your hand if you've ever heard the story. Okay, so there's two frogs that fell into a pit, and, uh, and of course they're wanting to get out. And so these two frogs fall into the pit, and their frog friends are on the outside of the pit, and they're uh, yelling at them. And what they're actually yelling at them as they're jumping, 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 trying to get out, they're yelling at them, you can't do it. Give up. You're dead. You might as well quit. Well, after some time, one of the frogs dies because he hears them. Their, their words kill him. But the other frog is jumping higher and higher and higher and eventually jumps out of the pit. And uh, the, the frogs that are a little like, oh, I can't believe you did it, said to him, what, what in the world? Like, you know, how did you get out of that pit? We thought for sure you were going to die. And the frog says, uh, this illustration, I realize, doesn't work because the frog is speaking to them and he's supposed to be deaf. So, so the frog, who can't hear but can speak, <laughs> says to them, uh, we, I thought you were cheering me on. I thought you were cheering me on when you were using words, negative words. You were actually cheering me on and it inspired me to get out of the pit. And here's the point. Words can either be life-giving or life-taking. And Today, what we're going to see in the scripture is that their words are so powerful. It's so practical. Words are so powerful, and they can transform. God has got to transform how we use our words for the sake of building healthy connections with other people. And here's what's required for you to be able to live on mission with those in your home, those in your workplace, and is, is for you guys to be connected. Here's what I believe with everything in me, and it's a driving idea, and it's one reason I wrote this book, is that most of you, if you hear a preacher say, God wants to use you on mission, you're going to say, yes, I believe that. I want God to use me on mission. I want to do something great for God. I don't want my life just to be about a fair wage and a decent-looking home and, and, uh, and just kind of like, you know, just breathing air eating food and sleeping. I want my life to just be about that. I want my life to be significant for the kingdom. When I say that to you, you say yes, but most people will go home and by Monday, that passion will be gone. Why? Because of issues in your home that are actually quite easy to deal with if you know how to deal with them. One of them is how you use words to build connections or kill, sever connections in your home. And so I just want to put before you a few ideas from the scriptures about the power of words. Are you with me? So the book of Proverbs, which is one of the wisdom sections of the book. I'm going to put my book over here so it's not 
sitting right by the Bible. I'm going to start feeling weird about that because it's certainly not the Bible. But the, the book of Proverbs uh, is, is some wisdom sayings. They're little quips, wisdom sayings. Most of them written by Song of Solomon, who's the wisest man that's ever lived. And so there's three things, Debbie read them so beautifully, that help us understand the power of words. Let me just say this before I get into them. I don't know about you, but my best and worst days as a human being have been determined by how I use my words. And so this matters. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Meaning that words rightly spoken, they add value. They're beautiful. They're precious. Now, some of the imagery here is a bit lost on us because I'm not sure that many of us have apples of gold in a setting of silver on our dining room table. But what the image is supposed to tell us is that there's something valuable that can bring value and beauty and a sense of sacredness to the environment that we're in by the use of our words. Words are valuable when they're carefully crafted. <laughs> Hold on, I got one. All right, um, carefully crafted to strengthen relationships. So words create worlds, right? Write that down. If you're taking notes, write that down. Words create worlds. So if our words are positive and kind and loving, they're beautiful, then the world that we're creating is a positive and kind and loving atmosphere. You know this. Some of you grew up in homes where your parents spoke in very loving, kind, and positive ways. And so your home was a place of safety, a place of security, and you felt loved and cared for. But there are also the kinds of words that can be hateful and harmful and ugly. And in those kinds of words create worlds in our homes in particular in a, or in the workplace that where there's a limit to the connections that are going to happen. Have you ever been around somebody that they tend to spew more hateful and harmful and ugly words? Do you feel drawn to them? Probably not. You feel like you want to distance yourself from them. You don't feel safe with them or secure with them. But words are so powerful, the scriptures say. Words create worlds. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So words can either hurt or heal. You may have heard the phrase, sticks and stones, finish it with me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is that true? Absolutely not. It's not true. Words do hurt. They can hurt deeply. Think about the words that you've spoken in a heated moment or maybe in a time of stress. When those words leave your lips like a sword thrust into the heart of the hearer. So uh, when I was a kid, I can remember people speaking harshly to me. One thing that I always got made fun of as a kid, I'm about to be vulnerable, is the size of my head. So my head has always been this side. I was born, it was actually this big. Um, <laughs> And when I was younger, I, I didn't have quite as much um, of a dad bod as I do now, so I was much thinner, 
And so people would make fun of me all the time for the size of my head. And I can remember as a, a, a teenager being so hurt when people would make fun of me. Even my close friends. Did I let them know? Absolutely not. I wouldn't let them know. Never show weakness, right? But it bothered me. It hurt. Words can hurt. They can be cutting. They can wound. Maybe you've been hurt by words. But also, words can heal. It can be an instrument of healing. Can you think of a time where somebody said something positive to you? Maybe shared a scripture with you, encourages you, was, was kind to you, and uh, it helped you heal in a time of need. So I personally have experienced this quite a bit in the last couple of weeks as I've received dozens of texts and phone calls and people just calling to say, hey, we love you, we care for you. People have brought meals to us, which has been amazing and frankly hard for me to receive, but not hard, hard for my wife because she's the one that normally does the cooking. I'm like, you know, we don't need a meal. And Jeannie's like, we need a meal. You know, bring us a meal. And it's been amazing. And I had no idea we had so many good cooks in this church. Um, but those words and those things to me have been very healing. In moments where, frankly, I'm kind of slipping to a place that's not healthy mentally, as this has reduced me to not being able to exercise and do some other things that I love to do and help deal with, deal with stress, there's been so many that have reached out in words in Scripture that have encouraged me, that have brought healing to my heart and to my mind and to kind of move me forward. Even this morning, I got a text message from somebody in this church that said, I'm just praying for your strength, and, and, and it meant a lot to me. Do you know the point? I mean, do you get it? Words can either cut and hurt and wound, or words can bring healing. You know that to be true. How do you use your words? They matter. The Proverbs also says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Kind of a funny phrase, those who love it. This means those that love to talk. Raise your hand if you're like me and you love to talk. Raise your hand if you process your thoughts verbally. You're one of those that processes your thoughts verbally. We are the ones that need the most help in this area probably. We're the ones that tend to say things that we're thinking that we don't necessarily mean as like, a conclusive idea, but people hear them as that, and it can cause problems. If you're sitting next to somebody who's like that, just go ahead and elbow them in the ribs. The the Proverbs tell us that words can give life, but they also bring death. This is more serious than wounding and healing, like the other Proverbs said. They can actually give life, or they can bring death. Words can kill people. This is why it's so important. Our words can move people to action, to really living, or it can suffocate them. As I mentioned, my best and worst days, maybe your best and worst days have been in how you use words. And the reason that this matters so much is because, is because the way that you use your words and the impact it has on the connections in your home impact the way that you as a unit can be on mission with God, for God in the community. That's the truth. And God wants to use you in the community. And it's not just about not saying wrong things with your words. It's also about being willing to say the things that need to be said. And I don't just mean rebuking people, although that at times is sometimes we want to speak the truth in love. Um, but it's like speaking up to encourage and to help. You know what I mean? 
Our words are so powerful. Some of you have a problem where you speak too much and you have to apologize for what you say and it impacts your witness for Christ. Others of you have a problem of not saying enough. You're fearful that your words don't count, but they do. They're helpful. Some of you tend to process things in your own brain without them coming out of your mouth. And you might think to yourself, well, I'm really proud of my spouse, or I think they're good-looking, or I'm proud of my kids, or I am grateful for my my co-worker, or I'm thankful for my neighbor. You may think those things and never say them. And do you know that not saying them uh, actually could keep you from being more fully connected to them and in turn being used more fully on mission with God? Have you ever said something you regret? Have you ever not spoken up when you needed to? Raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand if that's you. Of, of course you have. It, it's, it's, it can be frustrating too. I have, as a parent, said things to my kids in a moment of frustration or fatigue or angst that I never would have imagined that I would say to one of them. In fact, just two nights ago, uh, I was tired, a little frustrated, and hurting, and we were having to spend a little extra time kind of getting things ready for one of my kids to go to bed because they weren't able to sleep in their own bed because my parents were there and they were sleeping on the floor of our bedroom. Anyway, and I said something to them along the lines of, you know what, you just need to deal with it. you got to sleep in situations that aren't always ideal. I don't know why you've gotten so, you know, it's like these words are just spilling out of my mouth. And that person, that child of mine, I don't want to tell you who it is, because if they grow up and have problems, you'll be like, oh, it's because you said that one thing. That one person is like, I, I, I was just asking for a sound machine, you know? Uh, and I'm like, these, and I'm frustrated, I'm tired. And of course, I, you know, I, I walk away and brush my teeth, and I'm just like convicted of like the power of words, you know? And so I go back, and they've actually kind of fallen asleep, and I'm like, hey, 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 I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm not perfect, but you know who is? Jesus. And let's both pray our hearts and minds will become more like that of Jesus Christ so that you and I can be close together, united together, so that our family can be confident and ready and energized for the mission outside the walls of this house. I think that, that, that this person was sleeping for most of that little speech, but I felt better about myself, you know. Um, Our best and worst days are with our words, and they really, really matter. And here's the thing. You cannot control your own tongue for a long period of time, always. You cannot. You need something. You need a question. You need to think about the question, why can't I change this about myself? Here's the reason, because your words are not a matter of your brain, but they're a matter of your heart, what's in your heart. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus is, you know, when Jesus was on earth, he has to deal with all kinds of different people. And in this instance, he's dealing with these religious leaders. And the religious leaders were famous for looking religious on the outside, but on the inside being empty and quite unspiritual. And there were problems in their own hearts. And what Jesus did that was so radical 
was that he came onto the scene and he, he made the issues of the day not about external religiosity, but about a person's heart. And so the, the people that he most often rebuked were these religious leaders, and, and, and they had a problem with him. In fact, they're the ones that kind of parlayed influence to eventually crucify him. But Matthew chapter 12 contains this instance where there's these religious leaders and they're, they're seeing what Jesus is doing and they're rebuking or they're being negative about it. And they're basically beginning to tell people that the power that Jesus is working in is the power of the devil. Jesus knows their hearts. He knows what he's doing. So Matthew chapter 12, here's what it says. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. In other words... Let's just be honest about who you are and what's really going on here. Let's not say, hey, we're a good tree when there's actually bad fruit. Let's see if it's a bad tree, there'll be bad fruit. If it's a good tree, there'll be good fruit. Let's look at your life. And then Jesus goes on to say, the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, our words are a matter of our hearts. The good person out of his good treasure brings good forth, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings out evil. If your hearts are good, what will come out of your heart is good. If your hearts are evil, what will come out of your hearts is evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. The reason that these people are speaking harshly about him is because their hearts are wicked. So the words are an issue of the heart for these religious leaders, and also for you and for me. So what hinders connection in our home, as it relates to how we use our words, is every single time a matter of our hearts. So when I speak harshly to one of my kids, it's not just some intellectual issue. It's an issue of my heart. My heart is not right before God. Jesus is rebuking these religious leaders. And he's saying that if your heart is healthy, you will be revealed as healthy. Your heart, your words will come out as healthy. I'm going to figure out this paper thing for next week. Um, maybe, maybe you feel what I felt at times. It's very difficult to tame the tongue. James chapter 3, verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. So how do we experience heart change? That's a real question, right? That's why we're here ultimately, like to say, God, how do we experience heart change, transformation, not just to get a pep talk on using our words. A heart change begins when we repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the gospel message of the Bible is this, is that we've been separated from God because of our sin. Sin is, is the behavior of our lives that reveals the wickedness of our hearts, that distances us from God. It reveals that we need for our sin to be forgiven, and the way that our sin is forgiven is that Jesus Christ died on a cross through faith. We repent of sin, place our faith in Jesus. We get his righteousness, and then we begin to experience this work of heart transformation. So we have work done in our heart, which results in a different kind of behavior on the outside in a lasting way, first and foremost by turning to Jesus. It's a declaration. I am not perfect. I need Jesus. So 
I'm trying to when I fail with my words in my home. Not just to say, I'm sorry I've spoken that way, I'll try to be better. But instead, what I try to do is I say, I'm oh, sorry I've spoken that way, I need Jesus. So do you. You cannot manage your own morality. You need Jesus to change your heart. The Bible says that when we confess Jesus as Lord, we give him our lives, the Spirit enters and begins a work of transformation. And over time, our behavior will change. And that's the kind of lasting work that must happen for me to be able to connect deeply with my wife, for me to be able to connect deeply with my kids through the use of my words, for me, not just in my home, but also in our, like my workplace or in our church, to, to have the kind of heart that, that is, is good, is being transformed by God, so that what comes out of my mouth is good and godly. We submit to Jesus. We watch Jesus. We imitate Jesus. And it's through that growing, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ that we begin to experience that kind of heart change that leads into a change in how we speak, which ultimately impacts the connections that we have with others. That's the first thing. And it really, really matters. So with that in mind, and I don't want to move to like practical stuff, I'm just going to give you a couple about the use of our words to build connections with people in our homes and our workplaces and our neighborhoods and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't want to move to that without you really getting the point that you need more of Jesus in your life. You need to submit more fully to Jesus. Jesus needs to increase. You need to decrease for you to experience a kind of transformation in your heart so that what comes out of your mouth is good and godly and edifying. And only you know the way that you speak. Some of you are really good at managing the way you speak in different environments. Like you're maybe good at home, but in the workplace or in business, you're not so good. What I'm saying to you is that God sees all that. He wants to transform all of that. Some of you... Uh, speak up too often and have to apologize. Others of you don't speak up enough and you ought to to build healthy connections. So what I'm saying to you is that all that begins and at work is you saying, God, I need you. I need you to work in my life. You do need more of Jesus. I need more of Jesus. So that what comes out of our mouths is something that's good and godly and honorable and builds healthy connections. So with that in mind, let me just tell you two things I think that you could do really practically, after having decided to submit to Jesus, that will help you build connections, and you ought to do in an ongoing kind of way. Very practical, here we go, and then I'll be done, or we're going to respond through some singing in the Lord's Supper. First of all, I want to encourage you that in your family, and that could be your home family, maybe that's your work family, that's your neighborhood family, whatever it is. So this isn't just for people that are married and all that kind of stuff. So here's the first thing you do. You ought to verbally celebrate the good that, you're a see, that you see. Let me, t- let me tell you something. I've been a leader for a long time, and this is, this is so true. People will become what you celebrate. 
And they'll become what you celebrate more quickly than they'll stop being what you're negative about. So my kids, whenever they do something good, I want to celebrate that. And when I have an option of celebrating the positive or belaboring the negative, I try. I'm not always great at this, but I try to celebrate the positive more often so that they'll become more of that. Recently, one of my children had a baseball game. Batted quite well, fielded terribly. Not not ready for the Astros yet. Fortunately, there were no agents out there to see him. He was on the field, and he was, like most children at that age, quite disinterested and a little bored, which we all just must admit. Baseball's a little boring. Oh, okay. Never mind. Never mind. I apologize. I apologize for the use of those words, I need more of Jesus. See, I did. I use it. Anyway, so, um, but, so we get off, and um, I say, I say, hey, you did a great job batting. Batting, you were very good at batting. Feeling, not so much. You know, and I, I, I shouldn't have said that. So I want to celebrate the good. I, what you saw was good. That was a terrible illustration. I apologize. Forgive me. I'm injured. And, and, but anyway, but you want to celebrate the good that you see, okay? Celebrate the good that you see in your spouse. Some of you are wired in such a way, and it's probably because of the home you grew up in, you saw your mom and dad doing this one another, where you tend to be really critical of your spouse. You, you want to think about the things about them that you want to change. And I'm going to tell you something. It's very unlikely that you're going to change your spouse. You married who you married. And one thing that will help you be more connected to your spouse and feel more connected to them is when you begin to identify the things about them that are worth celebrating that you love and that you're excited about and just celebrate them just talk about them list them write a song about them write a poem about them and you think i'm kidding i've tried to write songs and a couple of poems and it ain't pretty about my wife but at least she knows that I, i'm proud of her and i love her and i want to celebrate her Verbally celebrate the things that you see in your workplace. Do that. Go in this week to your job and uh, notice some things that are going well with your coworkers or maybe your boss or maybe those that are below you. And just celebrate them. Just say, hey, I really appreciate how you show up on time every week. <laughs> maybe that small. Or maybe I really appreciate the fact that uh, the way you handle yourself in the meetings. You know, whatever. Celebrate it. And maybe you want to have a little party. Celebrate the good that you see. One of the things I talk about in my book and quite in length is a little ceremony that we have at our house, and that is that anytime my kids bring home a report card, uh, if it is their best effort, which I always ask them, I said, is it your best effort? And they always say yes. We always have this celebration where I pick them up and I spin really vigorously in a circle and I jump up and down. I do this thing where I spin around, and they call it the happy dance. And you can ask any one of them today after the service. I do it every single time. Uh, they love it. And we celebrate their good grades. And you know what? It makes them want to be more eager in the classroom. I do believe that the people around us, sometimes they would say, we know what you don't like, but, but we want you to tell us what you want us to become. So that's one. The, the next one, and, and then I'll begin drawing this to a close, is that um, we must resist excessive negative speech. So there's a book by this guy named Wayne Mack who entitled Your Family, God's Way, and he calls it excessive negative speech. And excessive negative speech is a circuit jammer in your home. 
Here's what he says. Some people constantly complain and find fault with their words. They seldom affirm or talk about positive virtues of other people. The gloom and the doom that pours from the mouths of these people foster a depressing atmosphere in the home. Home becomes a place where spirits are weighed down rather than lifted, where heaviness rather than happiness prevails, a, pl- a place people want to avoid. You don't want your home to be like that. You don't want your workplace to be like that. Don't be the kind of person that's excessively negative in their speech. And here's the thing about this, and this is why it's so important, is that oftentimes when we're negative about other people in our home or in our workplace, it's because we feel insecure, and we make ourselves feel bigger by making verbally making other people appear smaller. That is not the heart and the mind of Christ in the terms of how we're supposed to use our words. So celebrate the good that you see, resist excessive negative speech. Do those two things and let us live connected, submitted to the authority and the rule of Jesus Christ so that our homes are strengthened, our witness in the workplace is strengthened, so that ultimately God will be honored and use us for his glory and his fame in this city. Can we do that? Let's think on and pray about these things. Would you bow your heads? So if you're here and you've never crossed over the line of faith, you've never, like, said, God, forgive me for my sin. I want to submit to Jesus and let him rule my life. Then do that today. Today's the day. Don't wait. The good news of the Bible is this, is that though you've been separated from God because of your sin, God has made a way, and it's an act of love. He sent Jesus to die on the cross, then he was raised from the dead. If you put your faith in Jesus then you have the hope of new life in Christ. That's the gospel. It's the Christian gospel. Still, others of you have maybe been convicted of ways that your speech has not been good. And you just want to simply say to God, uh, words asking for forgiveness, it's called repenting of sin. You see, it's not just that our words are not good and hinder connection, but in fact, when our our words are destructive, it's what the Bible describes as being sin. So let us repent of those sins, find refreshment in the forgiveness of God so that our hearts will be transformed. Still others of you maybe are hesitant to speak up when you need to. And the challenge for you today is that you need to celebrate the good that you see in your home. Maybe right now you'll just commit before the Lord to do that at least a few times this week. Let's see what happens. God Almighty, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how practical it is. How easy it is to feel like, you know what, this is me. I pray, God, that our words to you in these next few moments would be true. God, you know our hearts. We love you. I pray that those that are here that are hesitant to take a step of repentance, maybe a a step of commitment, God, that your spirit would give them the courage to do so. Lord, I am keenly aware of the need for your spirit to work. We love you, and I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.